Amen. Why don't you turn to Zephaniah chapter 3, please? Zephaniah chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4, and the message is entitled, Judgment Could Have Been Averted. The kingdom was divided on the rare woman, as you know, the son of Solomon, around 931 B.C. It's now about 621. If that is accurate, you're talking about 310 years that God had been warning the nation of Israel to repent of her sins. That's a long time. The northern kingdom went to captivity, 722, by the hand of uh, Assyria, the rod of God's anger, Isaiah 10.5. Now the southern kingdom was going to be going into captivity for the first time in 606 under the hand of Babylon. Now God warned over and over again, sending the prophets to both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, progressively became more corrupt and so far distant from God, one step at a time. God, through the prophet Zephaniah, declared three reasons for judgment of Judah by addressing the city of Jerusalem here in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. Let me read our text. He says, Woe to her who was rebellious and polluted to the oppressing city. She has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. She has not trusted in the Lord. She has not drawn near to her God. Her princes in her midst are roaring lions. The judges are evening woods that leave not a bone till morning. Her prophets are insolent, treacherous people. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. Amazing. What an indictment that he brings forth here. Here are the three reasons that he gives to us in our text. First, the city had an evil reputation. Listen, there's the key like the other nations. Verse 1. Secondly, the city had a sinful inclination like the other nations. And thirdly, the city had leaders of corruption like the other nations. Her problem was she was like the other nations. Verse 1 to 8 is included in the middle section of the judgment of the nations. God is judging his people along with the other nations because they're living just like the other nations. Wow. Let's begin here with the first reason the city had an evil reputation like the other nations. Notice the prophet Zephaniah here announced the um, impending judgment once again. Woe to her. Zephaniah was the instrument to deliver the message not the source of the message. Often people get mad at the person teaching or preaching the word of God when we are simply giving the word that God has given to us to give to others to be warned. And they feel that we're self-righteous, we're very judgmental, that we're just doomsday prophet. No, I offer you the greatest return of Jesus Christ, the greatest hope. He knew the history of the nation of Israel, the prophet. The deliverance of Israel from the bondage of Egypt, the deliverance of the land, so that Israel would be the instrument of God's judgment to those that God gave 400 years and 30 years to repent, by the way, and they didn't take it. He was aware of the divided kingdom after Solomon through Rehoboam, aware of the promise that God gave to Jeroboam by the prophet Ahijah. He says, if you will be faithful to God, the ten nations, he will make you and prosper you like the house of David. But Jeroboam didn't trust God. He was afraid the people would go back to the house of David as they went to the feast. So he made 
the um, capital of, of, of worship center of idolatry in Bethel and in Dan, and Dan up north, Bethel in the south, and he corrupted the priesthood and the worship of Yahweh. He changed the feast days, used common people for the priesthood, everything. God would have blessed him. We'll never know how God was going to do it. Undeniably, judgment cannot be averted any longer. It could have back then. If Jeroboam would have repented, it would have, could have been different. People are the same. God checks and everything. If they could repent right there, then everything will change. But if they keep going, it gets worse and worse to the point where it's warning, warning, warning till the line is crossed and then judgment is coming. You can't avert judgment no more. Wow. Notice um, Zephaniah here now had been called by God to announce the judgment of Jerusalem and to her. The word woe, as you know, is an exclamation of alarm. Um, the context is um, judgment. And um, we find this throughout the prophets. Um, Amos 5.18 says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the day of wrath. People, oh yeah, we welcome the day of the Lord. Are you talking, are you crazy? You know what it means? And so people twist the scriptures. They may, oh no, everything's good. And you know, we're just going to bring in the kingdom and, you know, dominion theology, kingdom theology all over the radio, all over churches. Things are going to get better and better. Really? By the way, I think Hillary just fainted at the ceremony at 9-11. A lot of things are happening right now. Very critical. Woe to you who are at ease in Zion, Amos 6.1. Woe to those who devise iniquity, who work out evil in their beds. At morning light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. Why do they do it? Just because they can. Notice the word of woe is also used to express self-judgment or a burden that comes upon a person. Isaiah 6.5, Isaiah seeing the holiness of God in the throne... As he looks up in the day that Hezekiah died, he says, Woe is me, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven. Isaiah saw himself, how putrid, how unworthy he was before a holy God. And then God took a seraphim from the altar with a coal and cleansed him. We're not holy. He makes us holy through his Son. Jeremiah ten nineteen. Um over the judgment coming, he says, Woe is me for my hurt, because he's a contemporary of Zephaniah. My wound is severe, but I say, Truly, this is an infirmity, and I must bear it. God has taken many of his people through difficult times, through suffering, persecutions. Today, it still goes on. Notice the word her. It's used to personify the city of Jerusalem, and in turn, the people. That occupied the city. The city God chose, loved, and would bless in the future. But now, the only thing left was judgment. Psalm 48, 1 speaks of that future. Great is the Lord, Yahweh, and great to be praised in the city of our God. In this holy mountain, Psalm 48, 1, the future kingdom. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, the captain of the armies of heaven, in the city of our God, God will establish it forever. Selah, Psalm 48, 8, the kingdom age. But right now at this point, there's only judgment coming. Why? Because they said, no, 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 we won't repent. 
You know people, I know people who got to have been patient over and over again and they could have just restored everything. They could have been okay, but they kept going further and further and then judgment came. Whether it be of natural consequences of their evil or God's direct hand. Notice Ephaniah proclaimed what the city of Jerusalem was known for at the present. We, the church, are to deal with the present situations of our life and our world. We're not to live in la-la land, a make-believe world. Listen to his word, who is rebellious and polluted to the oppressing city. The city was rebellious towards God. The word rebellious simply means dubious, cantankerous, and unpredictable against God. A spoiled child, if you will. Wayward child. Jerusalem and her people knew the word of God given to Moses at Sinai through his hand. Jerusalem and her people knew the will of God that was revealed in the word of God. Jerusalem and her people knew what sin did in their relationship towards God. But they had slowly compromised till now They were known for being rebellious towards God. Some of you were brought to the Lord by someone who was walking with God, praying for you. And now, they're rebellious towards God. And you can't believe that they're the ones that brought you. And here you are, mature and grown up in the Lord, and they're rebellious or back in the world. Wow. Notice the city was polluted contrary to their call to be holy, like their God. The word polluted simply means the follower uh, desecrated. Jerusalem was filled, as we've seen, with pagan worship of Baal, Malcolm, or Molech, and the worship of the planets and the stars, astrology in chapter 1, verse 4 through 5. Jerusalem is called an undesirable nation in chapter 2, verse 1. Unattractive. Having no yearning or longing or passion for her because of her sinful condition. The city was heavy-handed. Not merciful like her God. Notice, oppressive. Means exercising power and authority over people in an unjust manner. They were unjust and they took advantage of poor people, robbing them with violence and deceit in chapter 1, verse 9, just one of the many things. When a society lives under these conditions, ladies and gentlemen, as we move through the sermon, the end is inevitable. The only question is, how long can it endure? The men of the city were complacent in their evil that they said it didn't matter to God. Or worse yet, that he didn't care about it. Chapter 1, verse 12, listen to them. And it shall come to pass at that time that I will search Jerusalem with with lamps and punish the men who are settled in complacency. That's the imagery of winemaking pouring from vessel to vessel removing the dredge, the sediment, so it becomes finer and finer. These men had the tainted of their own evil, and they were complacent, satisfied in it. 
who say in their hearts, the Lord Yahweh will not do good, nor will he do evil. Today people say that. Well, what's the problem? There's nothing wrong with this. There's nothing wrong with that. We're fine. Wow. The city and its people could have averted the judgment in the past, but they had rejected it. Judgment was coming. This is the last warning. The last prophet. Prior to the captivity. You know, America has just celebrated her 240th birthday on July the 4th of 2016. And it is very obvious that our national reputation has become lies, dishonesty, and oppression of good against decency in the patriot. You can't deny it. Let me give you a quote of Patrick Henry. He says, quote, I cannot be, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often that this great nation was founded, listen carefully, not by religionists, but by Christians, not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. For this very reason, peoples of other faiths have been afforded asylum, prosperity, and freedom of worship here. Now, you won't get that in your schools. Not grammar, junior, senior high school, certainly not college. Our history has been redacted, rewritten. The founding fathers had a requirement to hold office that may shock you this morning. Put your seatbelt on. Listen. The Constitution of Delaware, Article 22. And by the way, every state had an article like this. It's just one of them. It says the following, quote, Every person who, sh- who, who shall be chosen to uh, a member of either house or appoint to any office or place of trust shall make and subscribe the following declaration. To wit, I, blank, Xavier Reese, do profess faith in God the Father and Jesus Christ, his only Son, in the Holy Ghost, one God, blessed forevermore, and I do acknowledge the Holy Scriptures of the Old and the New Testament be given by divine inspiration. Whoa, Jackson. That's not Christianity? That's not the Bible? Every state had, had that in their constitution, state constitution, for politicians. What happened? One step at a time. The First Amendment did not provide protection for the atheist or the secular humanist by the word religion as it was originally used by Webster's Dictionary in 1828. By the way, Webster was a Christian. All of his definitions are biblical. Listen to what it says, quote, and I'm quoting according to that definition. Religion includes a belief in the being and perfections of God, in the revelation of his will to man, and in man's obligation to obey his commands, in a state of reward and punishment, and in man's accountableness to God, and also true godliness or piety of life with the practice of all moral duties, the practice of moral desires without a belief in a divine lawgiver and without reference to his will or commands is not religion. End of quote. 
<laughs> now, the definition used for religion, again, is the biblical one according to Webster, and it's as follows. This is what it entails when the word religion is used in the Founding Fathers' document. It's Christianity. Listen. A belief in being and perfections of God, the belief in revealed by the will of man, for his will for man, belief in man's obligation to obey his commands, belief in accountability to God with rewards and punishment, pretty straightforward, belief in godliness, piety of life, practice of moral duties, the practice of moral duties without belief in divine giver and without reference to his will or his command is not religion. Wow, straightforward. You can't confuse it. Now, such religion was to be included in schools, by the way. They, they, they hitched together. Listen what they said. The framers of the First Amendment felt that schools and educational systems were the proper means to encourage religion, morality, and knowledge. Now, religion is Christianity. That's how they use it. For example, on April the 30th of 1802, Congress passed the Enabling Act for Ohio. Its constitution stated, quote, religion, morality, and knowledge being essentially necessary to the good of government and the happiness of mankind, schools and the means of instruction shall forever be encouraged by legislative provisions. Congress and the courts. Wow. The concept of secular state was virtually non-existence in 1776 as well as in 1787. When the Constitution was written and no less, so when the Bill of Rights was adopted. It is said, and I'm quoting again, to read the Constitution as a charter for a secular state is to misread history and to misread it radically. The Constitution was designed to perpetuate a Christian order. End of quote. Wow. As you know, prayer was removed from the schools of America in 1962. And from that point on, the SATs have failed and dropped consistently. And we went from education to indoctrination. Wow. Judgment was coming. Because the city had an evil reputation like the other nations. There's the problem. Secondly, look at verse 2. The city had a sinful inclination like the other nations. The prophet Zephaniah here declared the indictment of the nation being self-willed. Listen to his words. She has not obeyed his voice. She has not received correction. So the nation had become wayward. She has not obeyed his voice. This is constant, 310 years, as we noticed in the beginning. The word obey simply means to hear the voice, and the hearing is to understand and to comply with that. This is the natural duty of a son or a daughter towards a parent. You as a parent delight when that happens. You expect it. It's nothing unreasonable. In fact, it's the evidence of love of the child for the parent. The usual response of obedience is for the benefit of the child, not for the, his detriment. You want him to obey so they have it good. You as parents demand and accept and expect obedience of your children for their own peace of mind as for the order of the home also. As parents, you know that your child's obedience will result in their proper growth, development, and maturity. As parents, you understand that your child's obedience to a moral and ethical standard will protect them through many things in life. 
You see, the nation had become not only self-willed, but incorrigible. Listen to the words. She She had not received correction. The phrase to receive correction means to not accept chastisement or discipline. We've all seen a child who is arrogant. Though you may execute some form of restriction or discipline, their heart is just hard. They will take whatever comes, but they have not changed their mind. Wow. Her concept of God had changed. Here's the problem. Her moral standards had also changed. Once you change your God and the standard of your God, your life will follow that change. Her likeness was more like the pagan nations than her God. That's why parents say, I don't want you hanging out with Johnny. Simple. Not because the parents hate Johnny, but they know Johnny's not good company. Right? The reason correction is not received can be boiled down to two things, ladies and gentlemen. First, the person or nation does not really believe they're wrong. How did they get there? It was very clear not too long ago that fornication was evil, adultery was evil, abortion is evil. Today, none of those are thought to be evil. Especially by the millennials. It's one step at a time. The second is that a person or nation believe, listen, they're wiser than God. Notice the prophet Zephaniah declared another indictment of the nation being self-dependent. She has not trusted in the Lord Yahweh. She has not drawn near to her God. The people had not trusted, meaning had no confidence in her God. They had come to the place of substituting God for other things and other gods. Today we've trusted technology, man's advancements. We've made man God. Read the Humanist Manifesto. Go on the internet. These things were the ways of the pagan nations being immoral and unethical in life. You see, the people had no longer their dependency on the Lord Yahweh here. They no longer relied on God for their provisions, but upon the pagan gods, like the Queen of Heaven. By the way, the Queen of Heaven is the title for Mary in the Catholic Church. Jeremiah speaks about the Queen of Heaven, Ashtoreth. Jeremiah 44, 17 through 19, they're telling Jeremiah, who's a contemporary of Zephaniah, listen, every time you've been telling us about to leave the, all our pagan gods, especially the queen of heaven, we did that, you know, and when we were offering to her, man, we had all these things, we were being blessed, we let them off, and now we don't have nothing, we're going back there, and our husbands know about us, so tough, what are you going to do about it? Wow. Babylon was coming. They no longer relied on God for their protection against their enemies, but rather their own strength and numbers and allegiance and alliances to other nations. 
They were wiser than God. They no longer were honoring the covenant of their God, Yahweh. You see, the nation had become self-sufficient. She has not drawn near to her God. Why? I don't need them. The people had not drawn near, meaning to approach to be one with her God. This implies the lack of desire, passion. It implies the lack of wisdom to be one with God. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool has said in his heart, No God. That's it. The problem of God settled. Doesn't exist. And we call ourselves wise. No, the Bible calls you a fool. I don't. The Bible does. I just agree with the Bible. That's all. The people had um, had refused the call of repentance. Though they had refused and rejected the word and the will of God, notice he still addressed them, her God. She was accountable. The word and will of God made known to the city, the nation, the people, made them more responsible and accountable to God, to those who much is given, much more is required. Luke twelve forty eight. The city and people could have averted judgment in the past, but now, because they had rejected it, judgment was coming around the corner. John Weatherspoon, who is, in addition to signing the Declaration of Independence, was a member of the Continental Congress for six years, where he served on over 100 congressional committees. While president of Princeton, which used to be Christian College, by the way, university, he trained scores of men for national positions, including those of president, vice president, Supreme Court justices, cabinet members, U.S. senators, and congressmen, not to mention the multitude of state and local officials. In view of our present position of our government to keep all religion out of public life, it's interesting to um, find out how John Weatherspoon felt about mixing politics with Christianity. I'm quoting him. It is in the man of piety and inward principle that we may expect to find the uncorrupted patriot, the useful citizen, the invincible soldier, God grant that in America, true religion, again, remember religion is Christianity here, and civil liberty may be inseparable and that the unjust attempts to destroy the one may in the issue tend to support and establish both. In other words, they're like Twinkies. They should never be separated. Wow. He went as far as to say that any person is an avowed enemy of God by not promoting true and undefiled religion, meaning Christianity, by bearing down against profanity, immorality of every kind, and that person is equally an enemy of his country. These are the founding fathers. Okay? This isn't this in the ACLU. This isn't Berkeley. Uh, this is in Stanford. 
These are the founding fathers. We know God revealed to Nebuchadnezzar the nations of the future that were going to come before they even took place in Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 and 2 with the image of that great image and then chapter 7 as God sees the nations as beasts. The head of, whole, the head of gold Babylon was to conquer the arms and uh, shoulders of silver, Medo-Persia. Or, or Medo-Persia was going to conquer Babylon. Babylon was the head of gold. So Babylon would be conquered by Medo-Persia and it happened exactly like that. And then the arms of, of, and shoulders of silver, Medo-Persia, was to be conquered by the belly and the thighs of brass. The Grecian Empire, Alexander the Great. And it happened exactly like that. And then you have the legs of iron that were to conquer the belly and thighs of brass, Greece. And it happened exactly like that. The ultimate and last empire is the ten toes of iron and clay that don't mix together with the head um, horn which is the Antichrist, for seven years. Listen to Daniel. He says, Inasmuch as you saw, and he's talking to Nebuchadnezzar, that the stone was cut out, the mountain without hands, that's the virgin birth of Jesus Christ establishing the kingdom, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, and the clay and the silver and the gold, and the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. So this image was struck by a rock not cut with hands. Virgin birth, Jesus Christ strikes it at the end of the toes, the seven years of, of the great tribulation, and Jesus establishes the kingdom. It grew and grew and established the kingdom. He says it's certain and it's sure. God's word. We look back on history, exactly. Now we know that the first coming of Jesus fulfilled the first 69 weeks of Daniel in Daniel 9, 25 through 26. And the prophetic clock has stopped. And there's the church age now. That prophetic clock will begin once again. The men of the church is raptured. And the Antichrist appears. And the way things are looking right now, tell you what, you better be looking up. Anything can happen. During the church age, there have been many nations rise and fall. We ourselves have seen many of these in this last century, the 20th century. World War I was the great war to end all wars. Did it? No, we had World War II. We had Korea, Vietnam, Kuwait, Iraq, Afghanistan, and hundreds of other little wars that have been going on and will continue until the Lord returns. The fall of the old USSR, the Soviet Union, Russia. We remember Reagan. Mr. Gorbachev teared down that wall. We were amazed. Our eyes were glued to the TV that such a thing took place. Communist China through Mao, the Cultural Revolution, and many other things. The slow and steady decline of England and the whole of the European continent. We are seeing the decline of the United States of America at a very fast pace as we have um, betrayed our friends and allies and we've aided our enemies.
Listen to Jeremiah speaking contemporary of Zephaniah. Jeremiah 13.23 says, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Question. Rhetorical. Only one answer. Then you may also do good who are accustomed to doing evil. There's a greater possibility for a black man to change his skin to white and a leopard its spots to stripes than for you and I to do good on our own. Wow. It's quite a statement. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10. We see the um, entire world becoming more decadent and characterized by lies passed off as truth. Now, this again has not happened overnight. Some of the things that are accepted today that I'm going to mention right here would have never been accepted in the 60s or the 70s, not even the 80s. The public would have been outraged. Now, through the progressive, step-by-step, these are accepted and no one says nothing. Global warming was a result of causing terrorism. Some people were just a little too hot, you know what I mean? Temperature. What an insult. That a video caused the killing of our ambassador and uh, five brave Americans at Benghazi. And then they even acknowledged that he lied about that video. That you could keep your doctor and your insurance if you wanted to. But if you went with Obamacare, it'd be cheaper. The new 60, 70. No, they just want you to pay taxes for 10 more years. The new green is brown. That everyone is going to get free college. Absolute lies believe this truth. How do we get here, ladies and gentlemen? Aren't you glad you're saved? Every Christian should be able to see the indoctrination that is going on that will lead up to the ultimate lie of the Antichrist. For the world to accept the Antichrist, there has to be a lot of little lies towards the big lie. In in fact, the article, The Lie. Listen to 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 12. It says, The coming of the lawless one, Paul says, is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned, who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. This is where the world is going. We're not doomsday prophets. We're not negative. We're just telling you what's going to happen. Jesus is coming. The world is headed towards Armageddon. If Jesus didn't come back, the world would destroy itself. Jesus intervenes. 
judgment was coming because the city had a sinful inclination like the other nations. Notice thirdly, verse 3 and 4. The city had leaders for, of corruption like the other nations. In verse 3, the prophet Zephaniah declared the vicious character of the rulers in the city of Jerusalem. He accuses the princes to be lions. Her princes in her midst are roaring lions. The word princes indicates the ruling officials, those of the royal family as well as those in the civil order under the royal family. Both are included and both are in the midst exercising their evil authority and influence. The imagery is not a simile which is introduced always by one of two words, like or as. He didn't say like a lion, as a lion. He calls them lions. This is a metaphor communicating several things. Those in power were abusing their authority for their own benefit and enrichment, being self-serving at the expense of the people. Our government has bankrupt us, has betrayed us, Simple. $23 trillion can't even pay the interest. Those in power had no compassion over the people, their own brethren. Aren't you glad you're a citizen of heaven? Aren't you glad you're just passing through? If you lose sight of that and you start thinking this is your home, you're going to be bombed. Those in power were destructive without any sense of conscience or conviction. In fact, boasting and gloating, indicated by the word roaring. This is when a lion has captured and destroyed its prey. Loves it. Notice Zephaniah accused the judges next of being wolves. Her judges are evening wolves. That leave not a bone till morning. The judges were the men who were to hear legal matters and bring forth righteous judgment and verdicts for the people. The law said judges were not to respect a person's face or person, and they were not to take a bribe. In fact, Deuteronomy 16, 19 says, You shall not pervert justice, you shall not show partiality, nor take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eye of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. The imagery, again, is not a simile, but a metaphor, evening wolves, indicating, again, several things. These judges sought out their prey by misusing and manipulating the law against the weak and the vulnerable. These judges, just as evening wolves, were relentless, having little time to accomplish their evil deeds. To destroy a person, it's evening. Not much sunlight left. Got to get to it, get it done. These judges were greedy, heartless, and without mercy. Leaving not even a bone till the morning. Notice in verse 4, the prophet Zephaniah now declares the vile character of the spiritual men of the city of Jerusalem. He finishes with them. 
This is the most important, the vertical. Those men who stand behind the pulpit, those men who are teaching and preaching the word of God and the people who are listening and living it out or not. This is what affects a nation, the vertical. Notice Zephaniah accused the prophets of being false people. Her prophets are insolent, treacherous people. The prophets were men who were supposed to be humble, looking to the Lord, but instead they were proud. These prophets were false, speaking their own will and words, insolent, meaning wanton and reckless. There are men who stand behind pulpits this morning declaring their prophets and they're declaring, thus saith the Lord, and people believe and they go do what they've said and it's totally off the wall. And they merchandise the people of God. God help them. They were to deliver the message of God to the people. What is it? Repentance. To return to God. These prophets say, no, we're okay. We're not going to Babylon. Don't worry. Don't, don't, don't listen to Jeremiah. Don't listen to Stephanie. Don't, don't listen to these guys. You had the same false prophets over in Babylon with Ezekiel. They went back and forth. They, the guys in Babylon say, shut Jeremiah's mouth. And, and, and in Jerusalem, they were telling uh, his, the false prophets in Babylon, hey, tell Ezekiel to shut up. It was back and forth. Notice the prophets were treacherous. Meaning they could not be trusted. They betrayed those who confided in them. They betrayed people for money, for their own personal benefit, as we've seen in the epistle. And they were people out for themselves, untrustworthy, having no integrity. This marks the character of the nation at this point. What a parallel to our nation. Notice Zephaniah accused her priests of having corrupted the things of God. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the law. The word polluted simply means to defile the sanctuary of God, the temple, the house of God. After the pattern given to David for the use of God, they were just prostituting it. Their very lifestyles alienated them from God and having access to him. Being an affront to God, their sins had defiled the sanctuary, treating it as a common thing. It would be like one of you young ladies having your great-grandmother give you this china dish set that had been passed on to her for four generations. And you invite her over for Thanksgiving and she looks over to the corner and you have one of the big bowls on the floor to feed your dog. How do you think she would feel? Now, it's only an illustration. We're talking about the temple of God. To her, it would say, you don't know how to value things. You have no character, no respect, no natural love. Taking something that's Precious, valuable, making it common. The priests had violated the law by ignoring and abusing it. They were responsible to teach the law to the people. 
The priest was to do everything according to the law. The priests were not to add, take away, or alter the law in any way. The priests had compromised and corrupted the law by ascribing their pagan worship to the worship of Yahweh syncretism, as we've seen. There's a lot of people in the Christian church who are doing things and teaching things that they ascribe to the Bible and to Jesus Christ. They're not, they're, they're not even close to it. Syncretism. Bringing in new age philosophy and, and progressivism and everything else. The city and the people could have averted judgment in the past, but they rejected it. So now judgment was here. Wow. Some years ago, was placed upon the altar of the Washington Monument Chapel at Valley Forge, an exquisite illuminated copy of Washington's Prayer for the Nation. Let me quote it for you. Almighty God, we make our earnest prayer that thou will keep the United States in thy holy protection. By the way, First President, um, people would ask in universities, who is the First President? I don't even know. That you keep the United States in thy holy protection. That thou will incline the heads of the citizens to cultivate a spirit of subordination and obedience to government. And entertain a brother affection and love for one another and for their fellow citizens of the United States at large. And finally, that thou will most earnest, graciously be pleased to dispose us to do justice to love mercy, sounds like according to Micah, and to demean ourselves with that charity, humility, and pacific temper of mind, which were the characteristics of the divine author of our blessed religion, and with a humble imitation of those examples. In these things, we can never hope to be a happy nation. He's talking about the Bible. He's talking about Christianity. Grant our supplication, we beseech you, through the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Not Allah, not Buddha, not Krishna, not diversity of multiculture. Jesus Christ. As our national leaders, and politicians continue to disregard our laws and constitution, by which, by the way, was based on God, the Christian Judeo Bible. Understand that the only thing that can result is the destruction of our nation. The increase of crime, violence, theft, with the spirit of anarchy. Is an epidemic. By the way, anarchy started in Washington seven and a half years ago. Ignoring our constitution and laws altogether. The moral breakdown of the home, sexual promiscuity, abortion, living together, divorce, and serial marriages will disintegrate a society. Not one civilization that has ever been studied ever survived the sexual destruction. It rots from within. 
The indoctrination of multicultural diversity for the efficiency of society is a lie and it's backfired. And it'll only get worse. You realize that um, when they keep lowering the standard, fire department, police departments have lowered the standard to have women to be policemen and firemen. And when you lower the standard, you endanger people, right? I just heard the Marine Corps once that we have one out of the ten Marines to be women. They keep trying it, but they can't get past the tough stuff. And if they ever force them in there and we go to war, it is going to be horrific. Horrific. The last eight years have brought forth the strongest attack against Christianity while giving the greatest protection to Islam. Listen to Proverbs 16.25. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. I love America. Trudy's uncle died in World War II. My uncles fought in World War II. My brother fought in Vietnam. My son fought in Iraq. Lost his buddy. He almost was killed. But I'm a Christian. I live in reality to warn the people what God calls us to do, ladies and gentlemen. Our courts are being filled with more liberal judges. And their judgments are horrific. The judge gave probation to a man who raped a woman. Christians were forced and sued bankrupt because they wouldn't make a cake for a homosexual wedding. One, one Supreme Court judge, one man, Robertson, ruled that Obamacare applied to the Commerce Clause giving the government the right and making it law that they could force you and I to buy an insurance that I don't want or perhaps I don't need at a higher cost. One man. Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. What should we say about the spiritual deception that is going on in the Church of America? We have pastors that teach only faith, emphasizing your health, your wealth, dominion, and kingdom theology, as I said, that we're going to bring in the kingdom, things are going to get better. What Bible are they reading? We have pastors that teach the watered-down gospel to offend no one, usually seeker-friendly churches like Rick Warren. Yet they're famous. They're even called national pastors. You're not my pastor. We have the postmodern movement of the emergent church that redefines the church, Christians, and Christianity. Pastors and elders who 
cuss like sailors in the pulpit who have beer bashes, live just like the world. Wow. Paul the Apostle put it this way, 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears. They will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables, myths, opinions, speculation, subjectivism. Rejecting objective biblical truth. Judgment was coming because the city had leaders of corruption like the other nations. What a parallel to our nation. Breaks my heart. God, through the prophet Zephaniah, has declared these three reasons for the judgment of Judah by addressing the city of Jerusalem. He could have addressed this to Pasadena, to Los Angeles, to New York, to Russia, to England, to Paris, to Mexico City. Wow. The city had an evil reputation like the other nations. The city had a sinful inclination like the other nations. The city had leaders of corruption like the other nations. Judgment was coming. We need to pray for our nation. We need to be a light to those around you, your family members, your friends. And you continue to be a witness for Jesus Christ. He's coming. And we're to be praying and looking up. And pray that we are worthy to escape all these things that will come upon the world. And stand before the Son of Man. Lord, thank you for your grace and your goodness. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for your word. Even in your warnings, you have great comfort. Because you are faithful and sufficient for the things that will come. And so, Lord, I lift everybody to you right now as they're praying that your hand be upon them, those on the radio, those on the Internet. If they don't know you, that you would speak to their hearts, your grace, your love for them, Lord. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. If you're out there on the radio or the Internet, the same goes for you. Right where you sit, right where you stand, if you believe Jesus Christ is God who became man, died for your sins and rose from the dead, you can be saved. You can call upon him. He'll forgive you of your sins by grace through faith. If this is your decision, this is your prayer of repentance to him, not to us. And he's going to forgive you right now and make you his child. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.